This presentation is from Design Research 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'd like to introduce Jax, and she's going to take a different approach, something we haven't heard much yet today, about actually doing using design artefacts and how we use those to communicate with folks and take research further. Yep. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So my name's Jax Wetzler. Um, I work with Sticky Design Studio, and I also run a group called Social Design Sydney, um, something you might be interested in, where we talk about design for social outcomes. But today I'm here to talk to you about um, my thesis. So I did a Masters by Research thesis submitted in um, 2014. It was based on a project that I did for a large telecommunications organisation. Um, the project was done in 2012. So if any of you have done anything at uni, you've got ethics and you can't say who you're, who you did your, where you did your work. Anyway, so we, we won't talk about that. <laughs> so today, um, what I'm going to share with you, I'm going to talk, talk through my thesis and some of the ideas. Um, I'm going to, I know it's a pretty hard gig. It's like four, four o'clock and you guys have been listening to people talk at you all day. And I'm going to be here talking to you about organisational studies theory. But I promise, <laughs> I'm going to make it, try and make it interesting because it's actually really useful. And I think we can learn a lot from academia. It's, it's pretty dense in there. But there's some good concepts that I think we can draw upon. Because I'm really interested in design implementation. We've talked a lot, about, a lot today about generating insights. But what do we do when we have this? How do we um, you know, support organisations to deliver stuff? So that's really the focus of my talk. All right. So I'm very interested in design-led transformation. So many talk about this as design-led innovation. Um, but let's face it, innovation is really all about change. Norman and Viganti, they talk about radical innovation as doing what we have not done before. And they also talk about incremental innovation as doing what we do, but only better. But despite what type of innovation it is, innovation involves lots of different people. It often requires lots of people to make change and do things differently. The thing about change within organisations is it requires um, a lot of people to do things very differently and sometimes we need to persuade them to do that. So we need to provide them with accessible evidence for the need for change as well as a vision of how change may look. And this is where design artefacts can really help. The thing about organisational change, too, it's not hierarchical. Despite some theory, it really isn't. It's not limited to the organisational chart and this brings a real opportunity. The other thing about um, change, it takes time, and sometimes a long time. So the project I delivered, it actually took 18 months till it was actually built. So I was, on, I was engaged on a five-month contract. So that was one of the constraints of my engagement, which actually fueled a lot of the thinking that came out of the, the, um, the research. So you guys have probably seen this a million times before. As designers, we tend to focus on the fuzzy front end of design. We often come up with new things and throw these at organisations and hope that they can kick a home goal. The thing about designers, we do not always think about implementation or its flow on social processes. I just want to add, I took that photo in the Amazon because I spent a lot of time watching ants carry leaves. <laughs> Sorry, just trying to light up a bit. Um, the other thing is that we often work as consultants, so we, we tend to fly in, in and out of the building as well as in and out of particular projects. 
So sometimes we don't always have, well often, we don't always have a good understanding of the social context where our projects live. And this is a risk, but it's very common. What if we also focus on designing implementation? That's the question that I'm really interested in. As designers, we like to make stuff. So I just want to clarify what I mean when I talk about design artefacts. Design artefacts are created by and through the process of design. So we're talking about things like prototypes, personas, journey maps, process flows, wireframes, service blueprints, conceptual design maps, all these kinds of things that I'm sure we all know and love. Um, what? Oh, I pressed the wrong button. My apologies. Yep. yep. Sorry. Great, sorry about that. Um, okay, so what if we considered the social context of the organisation and we delivered them consciously crafted design artefacts to support different people to do their work? So now I'm going to go briefly into organisational studies just for a teeny bit. Who's heard of the term boundary object? Okay, it's a really, really, really useful construct for us. How many, how many of you work client-side in organisations? Quite a few of you. All right. So, boundary ob objects were first coined by Starr and Griesmeier in 1998, and it came, it came out of their observations in um, Museum of Zoology, where what they were doing was watching how different people use artefacts, like specimen maps, field notes, for different purposes. And what they identified is that these artefacts sat as... Um, they called them boundary objects because they sat in between different communities of practice. So different types of people in different teams use the objects in different ways. So the thing is with these artefacts is they had local meaning for the specific community that used them and also shared meaning across the boundaries. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the other thing was that they were used in different ways by different communities. So they were useful tools for different people in different ways. So um, the interesting thing about this is that um, in 2010, Star, Lee Starr wrote an article and said, you guys haven't really nailed what, I meant by, what we meant by boundary objects because you guys think it's all about interpretive flexibility. But actually it's more than that. It's, boundary objects are actually the stuff of action. I really like that because I, I think that they're really useful things. So I turn to another theory which I actually really like. This one's called activity theory. Now it looks a bit complicated but it's not really. It basically says that all activity, um, activity is the smallest, smaller units of analysis of, of everything we do. We need to do activity to do anything. So that means that a subject works on an object using some kind of artefact. So think about it. We use computers, we use language, we use all different method, all our methods, we use all sorts of things to do our, to focus on objects, which is the output of our activity. And together as organisations or as teams, we all work on objects and they, they produce outcomes. Okay? But the interesting thing about this theory is that um, there's a social context to this. So rules. Rules affect how we do our activity. Our community affects how we do activity. So when we go to an office, we follow rules. We wear certain clothes. We don't come to work in our pyjamas, for example. We also have rules um, from the, the, our disciplines and the way that we do things. And there's also division of labour. That also affects the activities that we do. 
So what we're seeing here is how important the social context is for our activities. And, think, and I'm very conscious of how important the social context is for us as designers and for everybody, um, you know, how the social context is so important for change and innovation like I discussed before. So the question I ask myself, what if design teams created <coughs> objects, the outputs of their work, and what they consciously focused on was creating mediating tools for other activity systems. So the thing about activity theory, it, it breaks up things into activity systems where different subjects or different teams work on different objects to get things done. So we're all working on different objects and together we get collective outcomes. So what if we as designers, we thought about all the different activity systems and think about the different people that we might be able to help by giving them stuff to get things done. And if you think about that in relation to implementation, it's quite an interesting idea. Well, I think it is anyway. <laughs> so I've come up with this sort of idea about scaffolding innovation. So design artifacts scaffold innovation as they enable others to do their work. Just as these scaffolds enable like, people to build buildings, um, design artifacts can scaffold people to do their work and um, do stuff, basically. So... I've come up with this canvas, and I'm kind of working with it at the moment, and I invite you, it's a, I've creative commons it, I invite you to use it, but please do get in touch with me, because I'm trying to write about it as well. I want to know how it works. So basically, it's a, it, what it's meant to be is like a mud map for thinking about the social context of your projects. There's a book chapter which you can find on, on my blog, which describes how to use it, also using examples from the telescope. The case, the case study. <laughs> oh my god, so bad. Anyway, <laughs> moving along. Bad. What is the innovation outcome? So that's the thing that we're trying to achieve. What are the what are the dependencies and components? What else does it depend upon? Who is involved? Who can affect or who is affected by this? What are the things we need to consider? What are the risks, barriers, and hurdles? And what innovation scaffolds we can we create? What tools or artefacts for the people in number three can we create so that we can deliver one, two, and mitigate four? So it's not meant to be a linear process in terms of one, two, three, four. You do it, fill it out like this. It's a canvas that can use in different ways, and you can use it in different ways throughout your project. And that when you're going out to do research, you can have a glance over it and say, hey, we're going to go do this thing. Is there anything in here, that we, anyone we could think of, that we could bring back something, make something for them so that they can do stuff? So as part of the, um, the thesis, I identified six roles for artefacts, and this is what they are. Customer empathy enablers, persuasive and political tools, sense-making tools, collaboration and conversation facilitators, communication devices supporting organisational learning, and communication devices sh sh um, communicating shared visions for the future and implementation information. So now what I'm going to do is talk you through a couple of artefacts and then describe how, what, tell you some stories and discuss the roles just to illustrate. So these are some um, screenshots from a video that was presented. This was way back in 2012. This video wasn't used a lot back then. <laughs> um, so this organisation um, uses a lot of PowerPoint. Um, well, they did at the time. They probably still do, like, lots and lots of PowerPoint. Anyway. <laughs> so these were kind of interesting because, um, you know, it wasn't your everyday sort of artefact. 
So I want to tell you how they were used as they were used as political I'm sorry, persuasive and political tools. So when I was at this organization, I was there on a five-month contract. And I had a lot of problems getting people to come to my workshops. At that time, in that organisation, there wasn't a lot of collaboration going on and it was very, very siloed. That was a real problem for me because I needed to get things done very quickly. So what I ended up doing was <coughs> finding the line managers of the people that I needed to come to my workshop and then I showed them these videos which showed um, how people feel about this customer group. I mean, sorry, how the customer group feels about their experience um, ordering and on selling these products and how the internal staff feel about, or what they've got to say about the experience of these customers. Okay, so I made two 30-second videos, music, a bit flashy, nice to look at, and it said all these things that were big issues, that the managers would go, this is a problem, we've got to sort this out. You guys go sort this out, support this program. So that's how that was used. Um, it was actually used, so with the study, I delivered the artefacts and then I did interviews with people six months, 12 months and 18 months after the project was delivered. I found out that these were actually used to um, induct call centre staff to promote empathy for the people who were calling. So that was unexpected and interesting. Um, they were conversation facilitators, basically because they were interesting. And they were also um, communication devices <clears throat> sorry, supporting organisational learning because they really help staff to understand the experiences of that specific customer group. Okay, the next one is an infographic um, that was delivered. So this functioned as a persuasive and political tool as well because it showed, it demonstrated that the, um, the project, okay, so it was, the, the solution was... Um, delivering a technology solution, a service that pretty much integrated seven other systems. Okay, so it would have cost them, the organisation, a huge amount of money to do. So we needed evidence that they really had to do it. Now, as it turned out, there was a cultural issue identified with this um, customer group where internal people thought that they were, um, sorry, um, competitors, but really they were very important for the organisation because they had... Um, technical expertise that the organisation didn't have in an area where they had huge like, um, projected growth. So it helped kind of reframe that cultural issue that I identified through the research. And it was also interesting because a lot of people, um, it related to a lot of different people's job functions, so they kind of shared it around their teams going, oh, look, look how many calls we answer. Oh, look, look how many you know, customers we have in this state, blah, blah. So it was kind of interesting. Um, Oh. <laughs> ah, okay. There's one missing. Apologies. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. It's a transition on that image, not a missing slide. So that's good. Oh, sorry. I'm really sorry about this. Got some technical issues. Anyway, 
you, you saw the thing before. Basically, it's a journey map. It's not a very pretty one because it was for internal processes and it was done in Visio. <laughs> okay, anyway. So um, <laughs> what it identified, though, it identified all of the different um, front-of-house, back-of-house roles that were associated with ordering and activation. But the interesting thing about it is that it clearly showed that there were seven different platforms that these customers had to use to order a specific product. That was seven different platforms with seven different logins and often the, the passwords expired after 30 days. Okay, so the, the journey map had sort of irritants and so forth. So this showed evidence, another piece of evidence, that were called out in other artefacts to show the need for change. Um, the other thing that was used as a um, collaboration and conversation facilitator, because it was taken up by business pro business process improvement team, and they used it to frame their workshops in how to make things better. This is another um, sort of conglomeration of artefacts to show um, how to, the solution, and this was a very high level, um, at this stage it was very high level, and it went into more experience, I mean more advanced detail when they, they hired a user experience designer to do proper wireframes. At this stage, it was very conceptual. The thing here that I want to highlight is we created a video where Janine, who was a customer, explained the benefits of the portal, which is what we used to call them back then, with wireframe, animated wireframes. So um, most people can't read wireframes, but this was an easily cons um, consumable artefact that explained the benefits of the portal in a very accessible way. We created user stories as well for specific audience types who would need to scope out the project so they got a sense of how big it was. Um, and then there were high-level wireframes. So we, we, we thought about all the different people that would need the stuff and we crafted different things to support those people. The thing about this project is I knew it would take a long time for them to get this approved. And interestingly, 18 months later, the user experience designer who was, who was involved in the development phase, he used all of this. Okay, So it was really useful because it helped that later phases... Okay, because often we leave the building and we, we leave some stuff behind and a lot of the time it gets shelved or, you know, the actual product that comes out of what we provide research for, it gets quite bastardised along the process because we lose the evidence. So we need to be really mindful about the implementation phase and what can we leave behind to make sure that the vision and the research and the insights, the reason that we're doing this is captured and remembered so that when those decisions are made further down the track, they're fun of mind. And how can we do this in a way that's memorable and fun? Okay, so I don't have much time, but I'm just going to put some prettier artefacts and, and explain how, the, how they use the different roles. This was another one. I'm not a huge fan of personas. I kind of, I am in a way, but I don't like to construct them, even from insights. I like to use real stories. This was a child protection case um, I worked on in um, Ballina. So this is about um, adoption. And this um, adoption with um, kids who have severe, like some type of um, disability. So this is an actual story. And we actually did a workshop, like how can we persuade change? And we identified that we needed to tell those stories. So we used the persona as a nice sort of infographic way to tell the story of a specific child and their journey, just to call out, these are the things that are happening out there. While you're in head office in Sydney, creating your policies, this is what's going on as a result of your decision. So it can be a political tool, and a very persuasive one as well. Um, this is another project I worked on for FACTS. So this actually wasn't my diagram. But this is a map of all of the different players in the ecosystem for um, 
family um, child protection in the, place, the phase of placement. So they've divided the journey of children up into different phases, placement being one of them. These are all the stakeholders involved. This really didn't mean all that much to anybody except the facts people stuck in the facts land. But we were running workshops and we need to really understand more than this. So, okay, this is the one that should have the, the moving image. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Anyway, it's a long map, okay? And it's really beautiful because what it does is it shows the child's perspective. And we've got a cartoonist in to draw scenarios of a child going through the different phases and we also noted how they're feeling and what they're thinking. Now, this is a very sticky artefact. This landed up printed out on the minister's wall. This was used in workshops for empathy. As part of this program, um, we, we put down t- out tenders for um, IT um, providers to provide tools to service these children and the families involved. And these were really important because they really helped them understand, have more empathy and understand the, the, you know, the context of the tools that they're going to be providing. So that was kind of helpful. Um, I guess they were also very much conversation facilitators, again, because they were interesting. They're also pretty full-on. Like, you can't see it in detail, but it's pretty, it's pretty hard working in that context. The sorts of stories that you hear, it's pretty, pretty hard. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, I've got all these, like, weird effects that I couldn't quite get right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another, another thing as well, it was a commu- communication device because it supports organisational learning. It's a sense-making tool as well because it helps you frame and make sense of the child's experience. Customer empathy enabler and, yeah. And that's pretty much... Oh, I've got some hot tips. Oh, God. I'm, I will never do this again. <laughs> do not do this. <laughs> You've seen how it can go. Yeah, I might just um, go like this. My apologies. All right, I'm just going to leave you guys with some hot tips, tips that you can take away just to help you think in this way, okay? First thing, unpack the social context. Who can affect and who is affected by this? I start everything with that question. It's really, really important. Who do we need to bring along on the journey? Who do we have to persuade that this is a good idea for it to land? Really important question. Um, And who needs to be involved in the change? How can we give them things to help? How can we bring them on the journey? Reuse and repurpose. Be efficient. How might you broaden your audiences to bring more people on the journey? Raw data is very persuasive. So think about the videos that I created. I used them in so many different ways. They were used to persuade executives to mandate attendance to my workshops, but they were used by the customer call centre as well. So think about things in that way because you can go out and do your field work and you can't do that again. Yeah? So think about who, who you might want to use, I mean, how you might want to use those and with who and how. And consider knowledge management. See, the thing is about knowledge, it spreads in non-hierarchical ways. And if you make your artefacts interesting, they'll go viral. And that's what happened with our project. So we, what happened at the end, we put everything on a website and then um, we, we notified absolutely anybody and everybody in the organisation that we'd spoken to And we said, you know, we've delivered the project, have a look at these things. And so I was hearing about some of these artefacts being used in different ways by different people. That was totally unexpected. So, yeah, that's it. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Design Research 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.